0: Thank you very much. Uh, this uh, image uh, from the uh, Christmas special uh, with Carly Minogue and the starship Titanic, uh, really emblematic of what I want to uh, draw out of looking at Doctor Who today. Um, here we have uh, David Tennant's doctor suspended in midair between two angels ascending on a high. So we've got a, uh, a clear use of uh, religious imagery. And as I'll be pointing out later, as the posters have have asked the question, uh, the Doctor, Messiah or materialist, that there's a lot of uh, similarities and points of analogy between uh, the figure of the Doctor uh, in Doctor Who and of the Christ or the Messiah uh, within Christian theology. But at the same time, these angels have a materialistic explanation. They're not really angels. They're robots that look a bit like the stereotypical idea of what an angel should look like. Um, so here we have a religious uh, symbolism, religious imagery being drawn upon, but given a, a materialistic explanation. Uh, and it's that area, that uh, intersect between those ideas that I really want to explore together with you. Um, the reason I've been invited to come and do this is because I'm the uh, co-author of this book, *Back in Time: A Thinking Fan's Guide to Doctor Who*, which covers the uh, history of Doctor Who from the classic series and the first of the new series, for the Christopher Eccleston series from 2005, and I'll be donating a copy of this to the school library. So, if any of this sparks your interest in Doctor Who and/or philosophy, uh, you can borrow that out of the library. Um, both Doctor Who and the Bible present us with saviour figures the Christ, the Doctor, who save humans from evil and inspire humans to fight against evil themselves. Uh, it's not just a matter in either case of uh, this Messiah figure just rescuing passive human beings from evil, although there's some of that going on, but also a matter of those, those human beings being impacted by a certain character to live a different <coughs> life as well. I'd like to start off with a, a clip uh, of Rose. Uh, Doctor uh, companion from the the Christopher Eccleston season where Christopher Eccleston's Doctor is off in the future fighting the Daleks and he's sent her back in time to make sure that she's safe and she's feeling really frustrated because she's stuck back in the past with her mum and her boyfriend in the chip shop uh, thinking about the Doctor fighting Daleks in the future. And so motivated is her, of course, that she manages to find a way back uh, to the doctor and to save the day at the end of that first season. It's interesting to me, uh, as a Christian philosopher, that a, a Christian discussing the Messiah figure from the Bible could have a, a very parallel conversation there about things like the, the, the fact that the doctor is fighting 200,000 years in the future. Does that mean it's irrelevant? Well, not from Rose's perspective. Similarly, from the Christian's perspective, the fact that Jesus lived and died and, uh, they believe, rose from the dead again 2,000 years in the past, does that make that irrelevant? Well, not from the Christian viewpoint. And then Mickey, her boyfriend, uh, gets a bit of an umbrage with her, saying, ''Are you saying you're, you're better than us because you can't just live this normal life anymore now that you've met this character?'' and Rose is saying no I, I didn't mean that I'm not saying that I'm better than you I'm saying that I've met someone who's shown me a better way of life and I've got to follow it, and I, you know, I want to share that with as many people as possible. Similarly, the same sort of motivational uh, conversation could very much happen uh, between a Christian and a non-Christian. I mean, is the Christian saying that they're better than other people because they're a Christian? Well, no. Actually, it might, might be the opposite. It might be the Christian saying, I'm, I'm worse than I used to think that I was when I was a non-Christian, but I've been so impacted that I'm changing my life because of this uh, Messiah figure that I've met. Sylvester McCoy, uh, who was an actor who played the seventh uh, Doctor in the series of Doctors, he was the, uh, the last Doctor in the 1980s when the series then went on hold for a number of years, uh, one time was a trainee priest, and he said this about the character of the Doctor. It's the classic story of someone from outside our world coming down to help us. That makes it very attractive to human beings. I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but Jesus came down from outside the world to save us, and it's that kind of arena. So here from one of the actors who played the character, saying that, yes, clearly, uh, from time to time at least, there are uh, a large measure of sort of messianic uh, symbology uh, and uh, meaning given into the character of the Doctor within Doctor Who. And you can find many, many points of analogy uh, between the figures, At least at the level of character and ethics, and I'll mention another level in a little while where there's a a big division and dichotomy. Uh, Both are known by their uh, title commonly rather than by name, Uh, unearthly persons without a human form. ...who turn up from beyond the world at just the right time to make a difference... ...who are motivated by a strong sense of good and evil in both cases... ...who both have miraculous type powers, including in both cases foreknowledge... ...power to heal the sick and to defeat demons... Uh, ...both have an arch enemy, in the Doctor's case, particularly as portrayed in the 70s... ...when the character was introduced, the character of the Master is a very satanic-like figure... Both have disciples or companions who travel with them and are changed by that travel with them. Both are viewed with suspicion often by those that they're trying to help. Uh, Both are put on trial by their own people. Both try to accomplish their goals without using force. Uh, Both on occasion sacrifice their lives to save others from evil. Uh, The doctor does this uh, numerous times for individuals. Christians believe that the Christ did it one time for everyone. Uh, But out of that death, in both cases, comes new life as the Doctor regenerates. The Christ figure resurrects. When regenerated or resurrected, even close friends often don't recognize them because they've changed physically in some way. But then they recognize that they are the same person because they recognize the same character being displayed. And after their work of salvation is done, both figures leave the world miraculously, transcending it, one in the Ascension and one in the TARDIS. So lots of points of analogy between these two figures that are being portrayed Christ is a Greek uh, version of an Aramaic term uh, Messiah um, both uh, designate a supernatural saviour figure uh, who rescue humans from evil whereas the Greek for uh, doctor Iatros or healer sometimes you could translate it and often translated in English as physician as well and trust lies behind terms such as psychiatrist, which means healer of the soul. Not just physical healing, but healing of the character, as it were. And the word physician comes from the ancient Greek physis, and its adjective physikos, which means nature and natural. And we go here in the terminology behind the characters from a supernatural Christ Messiah figure to a nature and natural Healer of persons of souls, a doctor. And while the Bible presents a supernatural saviour figure who is both human and divine, Doctor Who, I think, reinterprets this Christ figure in general terms against a naturalistic, a, a physicos backdrop. So Christopher Eccles, Do- Doctor says, "Don't worship me. I'd make a very bad god. You wouldn't get a day off for starters." And these figures, although they're very similar at a kind of character, symbology, uh, ethical level, are interpreted in terms of two very different and distinct worldviews. And here's a little video of me in a graveyard explaining the basic distinction between a naturalistic worldview and other types of worldview. For a place dedicated to dealing with death, a graveyard is full of life. A graveyard is an oasis of nature in the midst of the concrete jungle, and the sort of place that makes you wonder if nature really is all there is. Whether, for example, there might be life after death. Fundamentally, there are only two basic worldviews. On the one hand, there is metaphysical naturalism, on the other hand, there is supernaturalism. Naturalism says that material, physical reality is the only type of reality that there is. Everything is just atoms in the void. For fairly obvious reasons, most naturalists don't believe in life after death. Supernaturalism covers a wide variety of views from deism to pantheism, all of which agree, however, that naturalism is false. A supernaturalist is simply anyone who believes that material physical things are not the only things. Most supernaturalists believe in a god. Some believe in a god and in human souls and in angels and demons and life after death but not in ghosts and some believe in ghosts but not in God. Whatever supernaturalist believes in, they believe that naturalism is false. And a naturalist believes that all varieties of supernaturalism are false. There are no middle ground here, no halfway house. Either naturalism is true, or naturalism is false. And one way or the other, it makes quite a difference. So, as one of my favourite Tom Baker Doctor Who episodes from 1977, I was about three years old, says uh, in this story uh, where there's an apparently supernatural happenings going on on uh, this island with, a, with a, uh, a lighthouse. He says there's nothing supernatural going on around here. That's his fundamental conviction. And, of course, it turns out that, it, uh, that it, the uh, threat is not supernatural but alien in nature. And his companion at the time, uh, Leela, uh, whom he had taken from a planet where she was uh, living a, a, with a tribe of uh, savages said, I too used to believe in magic, but the doctor has taught me about science. It is better to believe in science. In The Unquiet Dead from 2005, um, there are these apparently ghost-like creatures. And of course, the doctor bumps into Charles Dickens and together they try and resolve the mystery of the ghost. Now, Charles Dickens thinks that the ghosts are a trick an illusion uh, some uh, sort of trick is being played on him the doctor doesn't think that the ghosts are a trick but he does think that they're not really supernatural beings he agrees with charles dickens about the real world as charles dickens puts it uh, by which clearly he means a naturalistic world that's the real world the the apparent ghosts turn out not to be tricks they're real but they're real naturalistic creatures from a parallel universe. They're just real aliens who happen to look like ghosts, which is fortunate for telling a sort of ghost story within Doctor Who. Uh, as Simon Pegg on Doctor Who Confidential put it, the Doctor has always been known for his magic touch, but behind every trick there must be there must be a scientific explanation. And by scientific here, it's clear that what's really being meant is naturalistic. So, Doctor Who strives, in a sense, as an entertainment program, of course, uh, to have its cake whilst eating it. It presents apparently supernatural events, like this fantastic CGI werewolf, uh, that it assumes are naturalistic, assures us are naturalistic, usually by referencing um, unavailable and completely unexplained scientific explanations. Uh, we're just assured that there will be one. Uh, but we haven't really got time to go into it now because we need to get on with uh, defeating the monster. It's a bit analogous to me saying that, yeah, yeah, God exists and Jesus really is his son and rose from the dead and everything, Uh, but don't worry, all of that has a completely naturalistic scientific explanation. Uh, It's just that I can't give it to you and I haven't got time even if I could. Would you buy it? Let's look at another very interesting example from David Tennant's uh, era now where he's fighting with the the, the Master and sent Martha off around the world on a bit of a mission as he's being imprisoned by the Master in a canary cage as you do and uh, it's very explicit use of religious language and religious imagery in this scene but look out at the level of world view for the explanation that that's given I will continue just in a moment but I just want to stop there uh, to note a couple of things of course at one level what's going on here is a play on the old uh, pantomime tradition of everybody in the audience must clap so that Tinkerbell will come back to life if you really believe in fairies. now that's going to be going on at another level they're clearly using uh, religious imagery talking about faith and hope and prayer and then uh, this Messiah figure and he's sort of glowing white like the uh, uh, like Jesus at the uh, uh, Transfiguration Um, And we'll see what he does with his power in a minute as well. But it's all given a naturalistic explanation. Don't worry, nothing supernatural is going on here because we've got some satellites and a telepathic field, whatever one of those is, that he's tuned himself into. So it's all nicely naturalistic. Um, Here's what he does with the power uh, in a very messianic way as well. So at the level of the kind of imagery and the language that's being used and what he does with the power and so on, it's all very kind of messianic. at the level of the world view, it's Archangel Network satellites. See, some people would assert that science is inherently naturalistic and therefore that science is incompatible with a belief in supernaturalism. Some people will say, you can't really be a good scientist, you can't really be a scientist if you're not a naturalist. And some people also would say that science is the only real way in which to know anything. Science is how we know stuff, and everything else is just to do with faith, and by that you mean believing things without having any knowledge. It's not how faith is defined within the Christian tradition. Um, faith A good translation of faith today would actually be trust a belief in something, which has to be based upon a belief that it is real, and the belief that it is real could well be based upon reason and evidence and so on. Um, But that's how some people would try and define things. Science is the only real way to know anything. And so it's impossible, therefore, on that definition, to substantiate any claim to know about anything supernatural. Here's a quote from John Searle, a philosopher of mind, well-known philosopher of mind. He's a naturalist. He says that the acceptance of current naturalistic views in the philosophy of mind, that is, is your mind just your brain, was it something more, something supernatural, is motivated not so much by an independent conviction of their truth as by a terror of what are apparently the only alternatives. And notice how he sort of uses these terms here that is a choice we're tacitly presented with is between a scientific approach as represented by one or another of the current versions of materialism about the mind and an unscientific approach as represented by the traditional religious conception of the mind now I wouldn't grant him that definition of the terminology but you can see what's going on there or Richard Dawkins, well known naturalist He says, next time somebody tells you something that sounds important, think to yourself, is this the kind of thing that people probably know because of evidence? Because of scientific ways of knowing things. Or, is it the kind of thing that people only believe because of tradition, or authority, or revelation? And the next time somebody tells you that something's true, why not say to them, what kind of evidence is there for that? And if they can't give you a good answer, I hope that you'll think very carefully before you believe a word that they say. So there's that definition of scientific explanations is inherently naturalistic, and an assumption that science, evidence, is the only way in which to know anything. Well, on the other hand, there would be philosophers, myself included, who would say, well, that's not really talking about science so much as scientism When Dawkins says God cannot be proved by any scientific hypothesis, therefore he doesn't exist, that's not really science so much as a philosophy of science called scientism. When Peter Atkins says there's no necessity for God because science can explain everything, um, a statement that's wrong just on the face of it anyway, um, that's not science but philosophy going on here. Albeit philosophy that they try and disguise as science, I think. To highlight um, some of the problems uh, with a scientistic way of looking at science, of bringing that philosophy of naturalism into line with saying, well, that's how we define it and that's the only way to know things, I've got a little clip here off the internet from a debate between a Christian philosopher called William Lane Craig, on the left here, and uh, Peter Atkins, a well-known British uh, atheist and chemist from Oxford, uh, from a debate that they had. And I'd just like to show you this little clip where they have an interaction over uh, those issues. Well, Craig says they're accepted by all of us. That's not actually true, of course, because there would be people who um, stick to the the line hard enough to say, well, since talking about things like moral and aesthetic values uh, can't be proven by scientific methods of knowing things, therefore there is no truth. Uh, In the matter. Therefore, morality and judgments of beauty and so on must be just completely subjective and relative and aren't things that are subject to knowledge claims, they're just matters of opinion, and that's all you can say about it. Um, Of course, for anyone who says that kind of line, there's a difficulty which I shall elaborate in a moment. So, I think there are a number of problems with scientism. Where science is defined as the search for naturalistic explanations, where it's defined as the only way to know anything. On top of the sort of reasons Craig gives, consider this fact. If you define science as the search for naturalistic explanations, because those are the only kind of real explanations there could be, because that's the only kind of reality that there is, so you define science that way, well, that assumes, of course, that naturalism is true. Well, if naturalism is true, then that's not going to lead us into much of a problem. But, without that assumption being built in there, that definition means that science is not a search for truth. It's not a search for the true explanation about things anymore. It's now a search for the best explanation about things that is naturalistic in nature. So are there difficulties with defining science in terms of naturalism if that means that science is no longer a search for truth? And if you define science as the only way you can know anything, well, actually, that's a self-contradictory statement, as philosophers would say, because this statement, the only way to know anything is by science, that's not a statement that can be proven by scientific methods. So it rules itself out of court. The assertion that all beliefs must be justified on the basis of other beliefs, other evidential beliefs particularly, before they would count as rational for you to believe, would entail an infinite regress of justifications for justifications for justifications for justifications that you could never accumulate and you could never fulfil such a demand. So... Scientific, uh, scientific definitions of knowledge actually make knowledge impossible. So how could you know that the definition was true? Um, here's the doctor meeting an apparently satanic figure in uh, the Satan Pit episodes. Now, in this instance, I would agree with the doctor that this is not indeed uh, Satan. He seems much too physical for that, for a start. On the other hand, it is interesting to note that in this more recent episode of Doctor Who, that commitment to all the explanations must be naturalistic in nature is one that the show itself is beginning to call into question. And I'd like to show you two clips uh, from this uh, episode. Here is uh, where the beast is speaking and trying to uh, uh, put the, uh, the fear into the group of humans who are uh, researching the uh, asteroid that it's been imprisoned on. And uh, to stop him encouraging them quite so much, the beast then uh, profancially drops him and one other companion down this lift shaft to the prison where he is. And I'll show you that clip in a moment. But you notice here... Faced with this apparently supernatural foe, who knows things about people that it seems—how could he possibly know those things about everyone—and has these telekinetic powers and so on, the Doctor still affirms a belief that he can't, he couldn't possibly be the real devil or anything, you know, and that talking about a previous universe before this—that well, doesn't make any sense. Nothing could have lived then. But this—is that your religion? Reply does seem a bit to get to him, because he says, well, it's a belief. What makes his version of the truth any better than mine? At least mine is sort of useful to us, because it'll make us happier. But he's not quite so certain about affirming that he knows what's what in this situation, as this second clip shows as well. That's why I keep travelling to be proved wrong. One of the benefits of studying philosophy, just to uh, plug uh, the department here, Uh, whatever uh, viewpoint you come from or end up with it does have the benefit of helping you to carefully and rationally think through your set of rules your view of reality to test them uh, against other views to be able to defend them and think them through and question them uh, so that you're not simply living off out of a set of unquestioned uh, rules but there I think you see the doctor becoming a bit more agnostic Uh, a bit more unknowing uh, about the certainty that he has in the past displayed about things and in that situation actually a situation where he says basically well I don't know one way or the other but I've still got to make a decision about it Um, you could tie it into lots of religious thought from people like Blaise Pascal and uh, uh, William James from America as well Um, but we haven't got time to do that so let me leave you with uh, one last thought here I'll skip through those. I mentioned one thing about morality when uh, Atkins and Craig were talking and uh, Craig said, everyone admits that these beliefs are rational and since they're rational and can't be justified by science that means that you can't go defining science as the only way of knowing things. And I said, well, some people might, might stick it out in the teeth of that and might say, well, if it can't be defined by science then... Well, it can't be rational to believe it. It's just a matter of opinion. But think of it like this. How can anyone succeed or fail to be reasonable? That is, to live up to their normative intellectual obligations in life, their intellectual duties. How could you fail to live up to them if, as Richard Dawkins says, there is no such thing as evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference? How could anyone ever recognise an intellectual obligation to agree with a naturalistic worldview if that worldview means denying that there could be any such things as real objective intellectual obligations in the first place.